Hi, friends, and welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasprowski. Our special guest today is Woody Zool. Woody is an old friend, and he's very well-known for popularizing both mob programming and the no-estimates movement. Now, Woody and I had such a great conversation, we, we just couldn't stop talking. Our conversation was so long, uh, it was a really good conversation, it was so long that we decided to split it up into two podcast episodes to make it more enjoyable for you. This is part one of my conversation with Woody Zool. And remember, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. So, hello, Woody Zool. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, hello, Rich. I really appreciate you asking me to participate today. I'm looking forward to this. I don't get to see people like you at the same frequency as I would have a couple years ago, just because, you know, we're mostly working from home and don't get the chance to see each other at a conference or some other kind of gathering. And of course, I think we live, you know, about as far away from each other in the U.S. as you can get without going to the ocean somewhere. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, our chance to get together in the days before we were all working from home would have seemed more remote than than uh, working remotely. But no, we would see each other at conferences and so on. I really love that. I, I'm having flashbacks about some places I've, I've seen you too. Like, um, like I think I saw you at the airport in Iceland once or something. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like, hey, Woody, I'm American, you're like American. That. And yeah. I, I mostly see you in airports and at conferences outside of the United States. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little, well, you know, there, there are some airports that's more likely for that to happen than others. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm around Boston. You're in Southern California, I think. Yeah. I'm in San Diego area. San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where, I where, do love the Boston area. I wish I, I really miss visiting Boston. <laughs> we miss you here too. And I miss yeah. seeing you face to face. Um, and uh, I miss being able to visit San Diego and experience the best weather that there is in the entire world. Oh, it's crazy wonderful here. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up here and I've always enjoyed it, but I get my I get my fill of rain and snow and whatever by traveling. But uh, I do miss that too. Today happens to be a rainy day, very rare for us, but uh, it, it's wonderful. Is there anything that you would add on to my introduction of you? What else would you no, say? No, that sounded Woody's great. Name? Thank you. I would <laughs> say that... that uh, you know, I've been programming for 40 years, uh, but I'm just an average programmer. But at some point along the way, I realized collaboration was really important. So that, that's a high uh, importance to me is to make sure I'm learning how to collaborate well with others and I'm helping whoever I'm working with uh, learn to collaborate well. Uh, I'm the most easily frustrated, impatient person. And that just doesn't uh, work well. You know, you, like I think it was Covey who said, you can't be efficient with people, you know. And so yeah, I've had to change myself quite a bit over the years to become a better team player. Matter of fact, I used to write down, uh, I had a little list I would write and I would add things to and change it as the weeks and months went by. Like, how can I be a better team player today? And so I want to be really easy to work with without giving up the ideas and value that I could bring. So that's one of the things I would focus on. Like, how can I be easier to get along with and at the same time still bring value? Because you can be easy to get along with by not contributing sometimes, you know, just not saying anything or agreeing to everything somebody else says. So yeah, I, I have 
a lot of people would tell you, you know, I, I've done a lot of teamwork stuff over the years. I think it, a lot of times I was a terrible team member and we need to figure that out for ourselves. It's like I was just saying a few minutes ago uh, when we were chatting beforehand uh, from Amy Edmondson's book who uh, called Teaming. She had said, you know, the, the right now we need to learn how to get on a team, become effective really quickly, maybe Jumping ahead of the uh, Tugman model, is it called? You know, the uh, forming, uh, uh, storming, norming, and performing, or whatever it was. Anyways, yeah, we, we need to find quicker, better ways to get there. We need to bring our full ability to work with a team to the team. That's So like I like to say that myself, I, I don't think teamwork comes from the team. Teamwork is our ability to work well with a team. So it's like we need to be good at working with a team and that allows the team to exist and to be able to be effective. All right. Well, this is, this is so great. It's, it's as if you know what this podcast is about. It's about teams and teamwork. <laughs> and so well, I, I, yeah. I ask, I ask every, every, every guest that we have here, I, I ask about your best team ever, the best team that you were ever a member of in your life. Do you have one of those? Is there one best team ever? Yeah, so I, I would say uh, if I'm going to keep it to software development. And you don't have then to. I understand. But if I were to, <laughs> I, I would say the team that uh, that I worked with or on uh, when we basically allowed the uh, concept of mob programming to emerge out of this team that that was probably the closest thing to a great team as I could think I've ever. I've, matter of fact, I I plan on working there for about a year because I know that I can transfer to a group like this. Uh, every everything I know in a year or less if I'm working with them, and then I'd go and do do it somewhere else. But I stayed there for four years because it was just too wonderful to be with this team, and uh, the quality of the team itself is like at every company. What whoever is there is who you're working with. So you, you, if you can't put a team together, matter of fact, I would even, maybe this is almost too negative, but I don't think you can gather together the best team you ever worked on. It's just something that's going to happen because when you, when you gather together those people, you don't really know how it's going to work because the dynamics are not something that you really have control over. Um, this team happened to turn into everything I could have ever wanted from a team, how they interacted with each other, how they were willing to go the extra mile. Uh, how they were willing to help each other, uh, you know, co-elevate each other. I just read a book called um, Leading Without Authority, I think was the name of it. I just read it uh, in the last day or two. And because uh, I read sometimes by listening to it on, on a Audible or whatever of uh, recording. So I had a commute to have to do that allowed that to happen. This is such a cool idea. If we try to co-elevate each other. Uh, what a powerful thing. And this team focused on that. Matter of fact, even from day one, when they the team was part of the interview process, they were looking for someone who could help them, you know, get out of the quagmire they were in. And when they interviewed me, you know, they said, we want to learn to be agile and we want to learn to 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 do these modern things. So they were already ready. They, you know, you have to kind of voluntarily want to improve to be able to easily uh, move forward. Uh, there are other ways we can do that, but uh, this was a team that was ready for it. All right. If you could distill this team, this experience, the feeling of being with this team into into one word, 
What's one word that you would use for this team? What is the one word you would use for this team? So from my own point of view, this was very fulfilling for me. So that uh, I had tried to do things like this in software development. I've had this experience in other fields uh, before, but it's, you know, we work as solo operators in software development for so much of our career and we we don't pay attention to the idea that we could improve our abilities as a team eventually we just all get into this way of working that is solo we emphasize that and we'll we'll tell people just leave me alone i've 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 actually equated it to this sometimes like the developer wants you to just clearly write down exactly what you want slip it under the door and then eventually the code comes back out you know don't rush me don't tell me what to do beyond your original descriptions you know we just want to be left alone now not everybody and we've kind of learned that doesn't really work but I've seen that so many times. This team was there to help each other. They were there to learn how to be better as a group. And uh, we didn't set out to do mob programming, which is what we ended up doing. We or invent mob programming because I don't even think we invented it. It's like with everything, it's more of a it's more of a discovery. So when you notice it, you go, wait a second, look what's happening here. And what are we doing? You know, with a lot of things. And uh, let's get more of this. Yeah, so that's that's it. It was fulfilling because I'd been wanting and hoping for this for a long time. All right, fulfilling because you've been wanting and hoping for this for a long time. What else about fulfilling? What what what, what more do you mean when you say fulfilling? Is there is there more? What, what, uh, what more would there be? So, I've recently been reading articles. I haven't read the research yet. That pretty much says there's something like seventy four percent of workers are unhappy with their work. So. They have to feel part of being happy is feeling that you're accomplishing something worthwhile. And I don't know if this is uh, something that is in all people, but I've talked to enough people to feel it's probably quite common. My, one of my big study areas for the last two or three months has been the uh, earliest agriculture and the earliest uh, towns and villages, uh, permanent uh, cohabitation areas. I don't know what how I would describe it better than that, but it was mostly families and small tribes who stayed in the area uh, for a long time. Well, how did they do it? How did they do it without getting you know upset with each other and so on and so on? You know what what is it that allowed them to stay as a, a grouping for a period of time? I think humans probably way before it was uh, physically possible to stay in one area for a long time because, you know, we would use up a food source or whatever. Uh, we had learned how to work together well. That might go back to before even spoken language. I don't know. Maybe we were just screeching at each other. We, we still were able to collaborate. So I think it's built into us by this time. I don't know how long ago that was. It was before my time, before my dad's time, and probably a million years ago or something. Um, yeah, I think it's built into us. And I've noticed this in so many different ways that that uh, we collaborate. You know, driving a car on the road, we are collaborating with many other people. And we rarely get in uh, accidents or whatever you call it when somebody crashes into someone else. How do we do that? Well, we've got a protocol and so on. So it's fulfilling to me to see a group that's willing and ready to do this and then we accomplish that. And it's, yeah, okay. it's, it's yeah. Is I it, think it's just built into us to want this. I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think so. I think it is. 
Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. It's just built into us that we want to collaborate with each other. Yeah, and of course that we avoid it because of all the problems with it. <laughs> and, still right? we, and still we avoid it at all costs, even, even when yeah, we're driving so, a car. We, we think we're alone in the car and everybody else yeah. is like in our way. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wish they would just change the color of that light so I can go. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, why are they doing this to me? But it's, of course, they're not. But, you know, there's a really important thing here. Um, as a human, we seek the company of other humans and maybe, you know, some pets and things like that. And as a company, we join together because we want to bring all the skills and knowledge and capabilities together to accomplish something. And then we go and sit in our own cubicles. So it's like we know kind of innately that we need to figure out how to collaborate. And so we use surrogate collaboration mechanisms. For example, meetings. So I, I not too long ago, uh, I saw a, a con an online, you know, um, social media uh, communication thread going on. And they were talking about making better meetings. And I didn't really contribute to it. Uh, I was just reading it and following along. And uh, I wanted to say the, the first step in getting better meetings is to not have them. That. <laughs> right? So, the, you know, our, our choice isn't always to do this thing that doesn't ever seem to work all that great better. Sometimes the best thing to do is to figure out why we need to have this thing and experiment with other ways of doing it. And, and one of the things we need from meetings is to uh, communicate. And so is a meaning the best way to communicate? Maybe it's telling us we're saving up the communications for a specific time because we've become time-driven people. You know, the only rhythm we really have is a daily rhythm. We don't have a weekly rhythm. I mean, as humans, uh, we have the rhythm of the seasons. We don't have a weekly or a monthly uh, rhythm. That's something we put on us so that we could... So we could uh, accentuate our capability of getting together at different periods and times. I think I've read quite a bit about this. There were cultures at one time that they would say, let's get together when the animals are roaming through here again. You know, and then for the rest of the seasons, we're off doing other things, trying to find our food. But we know when all these animals congregate, we'll want to be here. So we'll see you then. We're not saying, you know, Tuesday, February 18th, you know, or whatever it happens to be. It's going to be when this event is occurring, that's naturally occurring around us. And it's actually and, at and the our, right time. And, that's and right. And we're at prepared the right time. to do the thing, not just to that's talk right. about the thing that we might do if we ever got back to work. Yeah. So, you know, you can tell I'm really passionate about this, hopefully. Uh, in our work, we kind of throw that whole idea away. We're not event-driven. We're uh, schedule-driven. And I think that that's counter to what really often will work best. Sometimes a schedule is okay. Uh, I'd really like to see proof of that. I'm not sure I've, I'm convinced of that. But, uh, you know, like right now, we're doing a podcast is we have to say on this particular day, we're going to get together and record this. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm not saying we can live without that totally, but we just discussed something a minute ago uh, before we started. Getting together at a conference could be as easy as, hey, look, Woody's here. And you walk over and say, I, you know, I'm doing this podcast. You want to do it? And then we do it right then and there. Uh, or we say, you know, an hour or after lunch or whatever. So it's kind of, um, yeah. There's a lot of reasons we need the schedules, but I would say uh, meetings uh, often are, you know, a f 
fake way of doing the communications or an ineffective way of doing the communications we need yeah. to do. Hey, let's get back together when we see the cameras and microphones coming. That's right. <laughs> and we'll go. just know what to do. <laughs> so it, like in a culture where you're event-driven, as opposed to schedule and time-driven, your pace of doing things is going to be very different. And so uh, we make deadlines that have almost no meaning except for that somebody felt we needed to have deadlines. You know, and I, I know for myself, uh, everybody's different in this way. I know for myself, I can load up on food in the morning and pretty much not need to eat the rest of the day. And I know people who need to eat every few hours or they're going to have problems. So, you know, yeah, there we go. So each of us is going to have different rhythms that uh, throughout our day that match us. And I know for myself, I often some of my best ideas have popped in my head when I'm asleep. And somehow I get myself to wake up at that moment. I go, oh, wait, I better write that down because I'll forget it by the morning. But wait, you know, but wait, I that wasn't between nine o'clock and five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I, this is an interesting point as well. Almost every workshop that I give, uh, at some point I'll ask, when do your best ideas come to you? And people will, so most common, people will say in the shower. That is the most common thing. And so I'll ask, has the boss ever come to you and say, I need some of your best thinking, go take a shower? <laughs> you know, they, they don't even think in those terms. The, right. the second frequent thing I hear is, uh, it has to do with sleep. Just before I fall asleep, in the middle of the night, or just after I wake up. They're all, I think, related. And the third most frequent is somehow something to do with exercising, which is usually a walking or biking or uh, uh, running. But it can be other things. I've talked to people in some areas where they do a lot of sailing and they'll say, well, I'm sailing. You know, it puts you in this uh, rhythm or in a, uh, a sense of uh, calmness or maybe excitedness. I don't know. It's whatever it is. When do you, For me, a lot of it came from walking. And I think that's very natural, too. I bet you our, our long ago ancestors did a lot of their best thinking and talking as they were migrating from location to location. And they were doing it very frequently. So uh, another funny thing that happened, all these things. And when I'm meditating, meditating and I, and I get so annoyed, right? And I should. Yeah, because you're like, trying to push. push I got I got a good out. idea. I have to say, what do I do? with this? I'm yeah. supposed to be meditating, but I got a good idea. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's an area that interests me quite a bit, not necessarily meditating, but how our brain operates. And meditating is one state that we can try to be in. I think it's all you that know. somehow meditating is a way to do it when you're conscious and sort of sliding into that oh. unconscious creative that when you're walking, I don't know, you go, I don't know what happens when you're, when you're almost asleep, when you just woke up. Somehow there's well, so you know, um, One thing that interests me is, uh, is that when the idea comes to us, we have to have a way of noticing that, of knowing that that's occurred. And then what do we do with it? So I've noticed in actual work, people will often just go right past the good things that are happening because they're on schedule to get something done that needs to get done. Uh, the way I like to think of it is like it, where I live, uh, a few years before I was born, we had a gold rush in 1849, uh, actually a year or so before that, uh, they, they someone discovered some gold. And the story kind of goes, they were building this mill uh, at this guy's property, Sutter, and they 
they uh, were building a sawmill, I guess it was, and they were bringing water in to, to be able to drive the sawmill, and that's what they were doing. And somebody kind of reached down in the into the creek or the river and saw something shiny gold, whatever, and picked it up and said, hey, there's gold. Now, if you go, hey, there's gold here, oh, well, throw it back. Let's get the sawmill done. Um, <laughs> we're on a schedule. <laughs> yeah, if we're not, yeah. We, I have to get to that meeting. Attention. So it may turn out that the sawmill would have been a better enterprise. <laughs> but, you know, if we miss the interesting things along the way, because we're bound to a schedule or a deadline, we're losing the value of discovery, which is really critical. And this is something I, I like to see on a team, is that we have five or six people paying attention, and they're not all paying attention to the same thing. Matter of fact, as I'm talking right now, Richard, you cannot actually hear everything I say, because your brain is operating as I talk. And every time I say something that's even slightly interesting, which happens now and then, you will go, oh, I, I want to ask him about that. And your brain is diverted for a while. Now, the study that I saw on that showed when we're listening to a lecture or a TED talk or something like that, we only hear about 10% of it. It's hard to focus and pay attention. Uh, to So let's get five people paying attention. They're going to see different things, and we're going to get this better chance at, at oh seeing God. the good things you've, that are happening to you. You've us. seen through the facade. You've, you've, <laughs> you've exposed it to all of our listeners and viewers. I'm actually not paying attention to you while, That's while right. you're here with me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And, and it's really funny because I am trying really hard to yes. pay attention to you and, and be like a, a perfect conversation partner, which is impossible and taking notes. And of course, I'm not even paying attention to you when I'm taking notes, which are things yes. that I, it's like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm taking notes to make sure I'm paying attention to you, but then I'm absolutely not paying attention to but you. But that's a good trick to do to get a, to, to get your attention back on what's going. If you make that quick little note, my mom used to do a shorthand and uh, she was really good at at uh, paying attention to things if she was in a meeting or something. And she would she had short, shorthand, one of the standard shorthands, but they let you put things down really quick. So she then she could look at her notes when it, maybe she needed to respond to something and say, "This is something I wanted to cover." And uh, I've had that uh, told me to me by many people. But still, so because we can't hear everything everybody's saying, and we want to do more, may we can train ourselves to do that. One of the one of the things I learned, and I practice it a lot, is to, uh, and I think I learned this from Nancy Klein. She wrote a book about 20 years ago called Time to Think. And uh, she said, uh, being a good listener is, is actually a gift to the person who's trying to, to do the thinking on something. And if you're good at it, you help them become a better thinker. She said, listen, as if the other person is the ne very next thing they say will be the most important thing you will ever hear. Now, you can't do that very long, but I've practiced it quite <laughs> a bit. And so when you do that, you realize how bad of a listener we, we actually are. That means you can't be thinking about what am I going to say when they're done? You can't be thinking about, oh, how would that work for me or some other thing or completely distracted, which is I'm sure what m m many of us end up doing. But I like that as a practice, a way to practice. Uh, and that's part of being on a team is to it's not just hearing what the other person is saying. It's to understanding what the other person is saying. And that's next to impossible uh, if we don't hear it. Yeah. I, I, there's we could spend a whole pod, 10 podcasts just on that alone. You know, how do we co communicate on a team? You know, hey, so some people are interested in sports. My dad was really into baseball. 
And so, uh, and I'd watch it with him often. Sometimes we'd go watch a game. But uh, I remember the excitement he would have when a shortstop and a, uh, a first baseman would get a double play. And uh, if you don't know anything about baseball, that just means everything gets lined up at just the right second. And a guy can catch a ball jumping up in the air and spinning around at the same time to be able to do it and release the ball before he hits the ground and he gets right to the person he needs to get to. And so if you can imagine, it's like a very complicated choreographed uh, dance or something. And so it's as a human and you see that uh, the emotions from it, if you're into that sort of thing, is, are really exciting. So, you know, this is the thing, knowing how to interact with the others to get what we need accomplished it means maybe we need to practice a lot. I bet you the people who do that well have probably practiced it at, uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. So that so that when the opportunity comes, they just do it, right? Because nobody yeah. nobody knew that magical double play was going to happen. It, yeah, they, that they, second they were ready could not for be it. predicted. They were ready for it, and they <laughs> and, right. they, and they, they had practiced and they did it. Yeah, yeah. And so let's add something else to that. If we're not fit, we can't hardly do it. So we have to practice stuff that has nothing to do with that exact thing to be good at it. We, ha we have to be, we have to have good uh, uh, sustainable, uh, you know, like during a game, you're going to get tired at, well, not with baseball, with most sports at the, during the game, you're going to get worn out. It yeah. doesn't happen so much with baseball, I guess. Uh, somebody's going to complain about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying, though? It's like if we're not fit, if our, yeah. if our muscles aren't limber, if we didn't even just at least stretch out before we came out, uh, this goes with our team as well. If we come in the morning going, uh, boy, I know I had a rough night. Uh, I got to pay special attention. Maybe I, like I would have my little list of things to watch out for. Uh, I want to be a good team member today. I want to be easy to work with and yet still very much contributing. Boy, if we can remind ourselves of that and practice it. Matter of fact, I would throw that out uh, as a very important idea. Practicing teamwork is something I rarely see teams actually doing. So uh, that was one of the things we were doing uh, on this team I'm talking about, which was at Hunter Industries. I, I like to share that because they're the ones who gave me the opportunity to let a team figure out for themselves how they can become better instead of figuring it out for them. So oh, you, you need assertiveness training and you you need to learn to shut up. So I'm going to send you to two different trainings. You know, like, you know, let's let's let the team Give the team the freedom. And part of that was practicing working together, you know, without the pressure of work. If you have the pressure of work, for example, with the baseball or any sport, if you said, hey, I want to really get good at double plays, so book a bunch of games and we'll just go out and play a lot of games and I'll eventually get really good. That's never going to happen. It's going to happen only if we practice the things we need to practice. So this is, um, this is we're talking about intentional practice here. Yes, intentional know, practice. Knowing the things to practice and practicing them the right way. So how did, so intentional and deliberate maybe mean about the same thing. Okay. But I think that we're intentionally going to practice and we're going to deliberately do some specific things to do it maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Cool. I, I, I always say intentional practice and other people often say deliberate practice and I, yeah, I where do they even, come together? I don't even know the difference, honestly. So <laughs> this is a good point, but I really like the word intention. So if I, um, if a teammate expresses an intention by saying, I think we should do this, then I respect that intention. Instead of saying, no, here's why we shouldn't, that steals the learning from the rest of the team that we would get 
if we try, so if someone expresses an intention and there isn't a really good reason to say no, that's a good thing for a team member to be good at is saying, hey, yeah, let's try it. Because that's really where the communication proves itself. Like if you say something and I say, no, we, we shouldn't do that. We tried that last year. We are basically saying we actually understood what you just said. And we can never prove we have an understanding until we put it into action. Or at least I don't think there's a, as rapid a way of doing it. That's why uh, rapid delivery in the agile world uh, of agile software development, uh, rapid delivery is about learning. Did we get this right as soon as possible rather than six months later? Can we learn today that we understood each other? How do we? How are we going to learn that we understood each other? Matter of fact, Richard, if I was asking you right now, do you understand? Whatever you replied, we have no way of confirming that, right? You can say, yeah, I understand. I don't know. You can say, no, I didn't get that. You don't know. So it's like um, if we have some way to confirm that, and one way with software is if I were to say, let's put a drop down there with the regions, and then the other person I'm working with starts doing it, I say, no, no, I meant at the bottom. I realized I left something out. But if they put it in they and they put the... Uh, they put the states in instead of what I'm saying, regions. I'll see it. And then I'll say, oh, wait, I, I really didn't mean states. Uh, we have this idea of regions. Well, where in the database will that come from? Oh, I don't really know. I don't know if we've listed them out yet. So the communication is at a much fuller state by actually trying to accomplish the thing. You know, I hope that's helpful to people because that's helped me a lot. I'm going to say, okay, but you have no way of ascertaining whether I really got it. <laughs> yeah. It, I, and I do that, you know, when I'm doing training, sometimes I'll say, does everybody understand? And, I, and then I, I realize no, I got to assume there's going to be some people here who don't, who still shake their head. Yeah, I do. The correct answer when a teacher asks is like, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the world we live in. You know, For sure. I've seen this with parents and their children. Oh, yeah. I loved my dad. He used to say, uh, do what I meant, not what I said. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty good. That was, of course, kind of a joke. But he, he was saying, uh, I know that this can be misinterpreted in a lot of ways, but I think you would know what I intended because you know me pretty well. Yeah. So let's do that. Yeah. Well, I've been hey. rambling quite a bit. I hope I'm getting somewhere where you want to be. I want to know more about that team. Okay. Uh, so how do you know? How do you know that it, this is like, I don't know, demonstrate or what are the sensations within you subjectively and objectively? How do you know this was a great team? Well, that's a good point. So me trying to measure things, uh, like how do you know they're a good friend? Oh, well, they, they call me three times a week. I see them every other week. Uh, they send me Christmas cards and birthday cards. You know, does that measure friendship? Oh, no. it doesn't These are the things I'm friendship. supposed to do? <laughs> Yeah, there you go. And so I think I, uh, it's tough uh, to say, here's how I would measure it. So this is something we can sense. And I believe uh, almost everything that's worth uh, paying attention to in our lives, are uh, the only way we can know is that we sense it. So how would I sense this? And one of the things that is really important to me is how does everybody feel? Now, uh, you know, some of the big consulting firms and uh, have come up with lists of, of ways to know is everybody having a fulfilling life because that's one of the things that's important to our to people. I, I had a boss once ask me, uh, he came to me and said, boy, every, the morale around here is just terrible. Uh, how can we improve morale? And I said, well, we have to have successes. 
you keep giving us stuff that nobody can succeed with. So I would I probably said it to him at some point, but if the if morale is bad, it's probably because the management is causing a situation where where nobody can feel fulfilled. And fulfillment is is an important part of the work uh, life. If uh... so, when I took the job to be with this team, I knew there were two things I wanted to accomplish, and if I could do that, then everything else would have been falling in place to get there so we had to we had to find a way to make the improvements without it being stressful for us or being you know and so on so the two things my goals were i want everybody when they're coming in in the morning because this was you know co-located in those days as they come in the morning i want them to say to themselves something like i wish i didn't have to work today but i'm really glad i'm coming to this place to work i can't wait to be with these people and the other thing I wanted was when we would have a job opening, because I was planning on, you know, needing to have more people, they would want to tell their friends, you should come to work here. So how do I measure it? I think if I could have got that. So this team itself, why did I love being on it? Was because this team was learning to be open with each other. We were learning to get feedback from each other and how to do that in a respectful way. We were learning how to... to so at one point, we came up with this three words... Uh, about how do I want to be treated? And we decided on with kindness, consideration, and respect. Well, initially, we knew we didn't know how to do that. We would have to learn. And somebody brilliantly on the team said, well, there's this thing in psychology where you just pretend to be what you want to be, and it will help you start becoming that. So we pretended to be kind and considerate and respectful to each other, and it actually worked and after a while, we started finding people look up, oh, how do I listen better? Uh, so to be considerate doesn't mean uh, just to open the door for someone or something like that. Considerate means you have to consider their ideas. And that means you have to hear their ideas. So to be able to hear their ideas, you have to be pretty good at listening and learning how to get an understanding. On the other hand, if we want to be considerate of other people's feelings, that's much more difficult. But that was part of consideration. I want to be treated with consideration. At least takes those two things. How do you be consider? How can you be considerate of others' feelings? This means we have to get a lot better at at sharing our feelings, a lot better at sensing each other's feelings. So these little things. It only took the first um, week or two, way before we started really working as a team, for me to see this is a team that has a good chance, because there were a few on the team that were considerate of others. There's this thing I, got, I learned from, I think, Ainsley. Do you know Ainsley Nice? Um, she, she's a big, uh, she, she wrote, co-wrote the Liftoff book with Diane Larson and other things like that. She, um, we were having a talk when she said, you know, I, I've stopped trying to convince people of things. I just do the behaviors that I think we should have. And maybe others will pick up on that and follow that lead. And so, uh, this is like one of the things is uh, if, if there, there were people on the team who were already modeling the behaviors, they were already doing things that we just had to make sure we were paying attention. So I don't know how to measure this. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure if I had measured how good of a team a team is, it would completely uh, miss the point and maybe uh, it would ruin a team if we were using measurements the team uh, told the team we were using some kind of measurements. Yeah. What a troubling thing. Yeah. 
you know, right. we don't, we can't, I don't think that we can measure that stuff, but how do we know we can sense it? And as Woody says all that, I start feeling so self-conscious. I try so hard to be a good conversation partner, but am I listening well? Am I giving him enough consideration? Well, this is the end of part one of my conversation with Woody Zool. Join us in our next episode as we continue the conversation and hear from Woody about concrete behaviors that we can try to imitate so our teams might be as good as this team that he's been sharing with us. And remember... To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com.